This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. How much does gratitude play into stillness? When you are in a state of gratitude, you can receive, right? And Rumi says that gratitude is the ultimate state of all emotion. So, so, so it is at the top of all emotions. Now, gratitude is totally misconstrued because all we do all day, thank you for your time, thank you for the groceries, thank you for giving me a shopping bag, we've abused the term thank you. The reason why you give gratitude because gratitude creates a frequency inside of you which is measurable using uh, various tools today when you feel grateful for life you emit a frequency that's higher but that doesn't come for thanking someone in that particular level let me guess you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business online and you've probably tried everything to grow your business including social media SEO, even paid ads, only to find out that nothing truly works. So what if I told you that writing a book that goes on to become a bestseller is the magic wand and that you can do it in as little as 30 days, two weeks, or even over a weekend in some cases without spending more than 10 minutes a day. Would you be interested? My name is Roger Brooks and I'm the founder and host of American Real TV, where I interview world-class guests to empower others through the essence of story. But I didn't get here overnight, and my mission certainly doesn't end here. Ever since I was a little boy, it's been my dream to empower others through the craft of writing and storytelling. And throughout my life, I came across several mentors who pushed me toward my passion for writing books and helping others to do the same. There is no greater joy than to be working with aspiring authors and to help them establish true credibility within their industry by writing and publishing their first book, which I'm proud to say have all gone on to become bestsellers. Now, you're seeing this video because I just opened enrollment for my new book writing program, where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks, where today my very special guest is Rashad Ahmed. You are known as the Zen Coach and are a certified life coach and mentor, where you promote heart-based leadership, having consulted with over 3,000 people during your tenure. Over the years, you have delivered keynote speeches at various public forums, and your clients say, you just see things they can't, which helps them identify issues they would miss otherwise. Rashad, welcome to the show. Roger, I'm so excited to be on your show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great honor. It's an honor back right, at, uh, right back at you. And you are in South Africa. 
uh, tell us about South Africa. Most of our audience is in Europe and in the United States. So I would love to hear a little bit about where you're from and about the area and what is life like there? Well, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It was rated number eight most beautiful cities in the world by um, it was a London travel magazine. So I'm in a city called Cape Town uh, in, in the right of the tip. If you keep on going south, you'd end up in the South Pole. So I'm right at the bottom. Um, and uh, that's a beautiful place. We have whales that come and uh, come and uh, nest, not nest, but what's the word? They come and give birth in the waters here. Um, it's spectacular. They call it the, we have one of the windiest cities in the world. Uh, they call it the Cape Doctor because it's so windy. Um, it takes out, we have one of the clearest, bluest skies in the world because, so photographers, movie directors, they come here to shoot their movies. So you see the vividness of color come alive here. So that's on the one aspect. On the other aspect, we have a, a government that is still sort of developing out of the, uh, the old uh, apartheid uh, regime, uh, you know, from Mandela, as everybody knows. So we have those issues. So I've been here now for 18 years. Before that, I was in, uh, in Sydney, in Australia, for 15 years. That's where I went to school and things like that. So it's a beautiful place. There's no lions running around. It's a very, uh, there was once I was having a call with a guy in the US and he said, what's that noise? I said, it's just a lion biting on the line. It doesn't matter, don't worry about it. He's like, really? I was like, no, no, there's no lions here. We, we live in a very cosmopolitan city and many Americans come and visit us. Wonderful. And uh, living in Australia previously, what would you say the difference in, in a, you know, just typical day-to-day -day living is where you are now? Uh, as opposed to day-to-day uh, -day living? Yeah, it's, it's the same, really. I mean, uh, we don't have that much, actually, we do traffic. I mean, we have, we have traffic to contend with. Well, the whole COVID thing is, has changed things in a beautiful way because myself and my wife were just up and down with the children. You know, I've got four daughters and it's just one event after the other. It's school back and forth and uh, all these things, you know, horse riding and music. And it was just getting too much. I mean, she was spending two and a half hours a day in the car. So, you know, as much as it's been difficult for a lot of people, I don't know if I want life to go back to the way it was before. So, uh, yeah, and there, there have been some amazing uh, improvements to, to the quality of life uh, for people here. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to overcome the uh, economic hardship, which is, which is a reality. We have an unemployment rate of one of the highest in the world, close to 55 to 60% of the population is unemployed. So, you know, we have huge poverty, unemployment. Uh, many people live in, in uh, makeshift houses with the, so when it rains here, I mean, houses get flooded, washed away. It's pretty, so you have huge polarity. You have the well-to-do people. We're not talking about tremendously rich, but you have very high uh, amount of very wealthy people, a, a reasonably small middle class and majority of the people in abject poverty here. So it's quite, it, it, you are reminded on a daily basis how lucky you are to have what you, what you have. Because when you're in the West, like in Sydney, finding a poor person or, finding someone in a, in a horrible situation uh, financially is very rare. But in, in South Africa, you just get to the traffic lights and there's people wanting money. They don't have food. A woman walking around with a baby. It makes you very um, aware uh, and grateful for what you have. So that's, that's where it differs, I guess. And Rashad, you know, for thousands of years, uh, you know, we've had this problem with, with, with poverty. Uh, from your perspective, seeing it, you know, where you live and in other places around the world, do you think there's any solution 
to overcoming poverty? Yes, <laughs> there is a solution. Um, and it requires um, collaboration. Uh, ultimately, right now, you, the, anyone that is half connected to their soul and their heart would know that we are in an extremely abnormal stage of existence. If we look at existence, and I always like to take an ancient view to, to, to look at life starting, as they may have said, Homo, homo sapiens anywhere between 200 and 300,000 years ago to where we are now. We're living in an extremely unusual situation right now and we have huge polarities between the rich and poor and it's not just in Africa, it's worldwide. Um, the solution is, uh, unfortunately, it's not, there isn't, and, and I'd love to say, you know, there's this wonderful fix where we, you know, increase spending on uh, education and all the rest of it. It's about getting a group of us coming together saying we have a vested interest in the planet and the future of the planet. Everything else falls into line, really. I mean, there's no, there is no lack in this universe as far as, as far as I'm concerned. It's just a matter of where our priorities are. And I don't think we ever been, you know, I, in the past, you couldn't get away with the leadership like this worldwide. You couldn't get away with the measures that we're implementing worldwide, but we are. So my view is that instead of, feeling like a victim. You have to surrender that the universe has a plan. And right now, as far as I'm concerned, the, the, the planet has not been more unconscious than they are right now. We, our behaviors are unconscious. And, and what I teach in my, uh, my, my sessions is how to become conscious of what is going on around you. The noise is so loud inside that someone says, virus, you're going to die. Mask, it's going to save your life. Government, your friend. Vaccine, and that's all it right now. I don't think we can make a rational choice. All we want to do is go back and become good citizens, pay our bills, pay our taxes and life, let life continue. And the universe said, hold on a second here. Okay. So the universe is allowing everything to unfold. It's not happening outside of it. So when you take on the victim identity and say, this is happening to me, you're part of the problem. So, so I say that the universe is, is, is definitely uh, uh, showing us that people need to become more conscious. And so my role is to make people more conscious by, by teaching them the tools to tune into their hearts and be able to discriminate what is crap that's going on and what's reality, what's important and what's not. One of the great uh, sages of the time, um, I think it was Socrates, who said, wisdom is knowing what to ignore. Not what to know, it's what to ignore. So that's, uh, yeah, so I didn't answer your question, but yeah, I don't think I have the, um, the tools to, to answer the question, but that's my, my take on it. And what are, what are some of the tools that you teach people to become more conscious and aware? Well, first of all, it's about being centered in ourselves. Right now, the noise is in our heads. Um, we are being... I just got off a, a Zoom a, a session, uh, we're using Google Meet for now, um, where I was teaching people how to form heart-brain coherence, which means that your heart and your brain are in alignment so that you can become more aware. And what I said on the, on the session was that the number one commodity right now out there in the world is your attention. Everybody's vying for it. I mean, you see on your show as well, right? You could have the best content, and I love your show, and I love your content. I think it's extraordinary. And we had this wonderful chat beforehand, and I'd like to contribute to your show, is 
our attention. So Instagram charges you based on how much attention they can retain, right? And the problem is when you're not on the phone, what are you doing? And how much of that time are you giving to the stillness inside so that all this noise out there can settle and you can make a decision? Think about leaders right now. Look at our worldwide leaders. How are they acting? At some point, you've got to go, is it really rational to shut down the whole world because of a virus? Oh, let's not ask that question because of the repercussions. But at some point, a leader's got to stand up and say, but hold on here. Mass poverty, 98% uh, recovery rate, and people are dying, no doubt. But then we got heart disease right up there at the top, right? So we've got to say, okay, what do we eliminate first, the corona or heart disease? We look at the numbers, they're much higher. Anyway, whatever the point, point may be, if we're not, and I don't blame them, I don't think there's this great conspiracy and this great plot, because if you say that, you have no faith in humanity, because ultimately, they're us. We are them. There's no them and us, and the, the illusion of, of separation is what's causing all the anxiety. So they're poor, I'm rich, they're dumb, I'm smart, and, and it doesn't happen like that, and I think that's part of the, the, the whole conspiracy angle that's going around. It's, it's pointless. It's useless. It's we are one, and we have to work on this together. So, yes, what I teach is, is to become centered within yourself, tune into the stillness uh, of your soul, because, that, I mean, you look at all the great mystics, all the great poets, they're going to tell you that, um, that centering within yourself, uh, one of the men that I quote a lot is a, a Persian mystic called Jalaluddin Rumi, uh, incredible, he's actually one of the best-selling poets in America today. So, so he says that uh, the language of God is silence. Everything else is poor translation. Is what he's saying in essence is that, and if you look at all, all whatever's happening in the West, they're flocking towards the East, right? And the guys in the East are running towards the West and you're like, guys, stay where you are, man. You don't know the mess that we're in. We're trying to get what you got and you're running towards there. And, and so that's the thing right now. Uh, these people that have been flocking to the big cities, they look like, we don't have a job anymore. What are we doing in the slum? Like Mumbai, for instance, which India is, is another big city, it's just overpopulated. And But people are there living in these tiny apartments, New York, Moscow, Tokyo, London. It's an overpopulation because we're chasing after the next wealth that we want. And, it's, and we're entitled to do that. But at what cost? You know, so people are saying, I can go back home, use my laptop, and I can be connected to uh, people in California while I'm sitting in a beautiful village with my mom and dad, with the horses, with the cows. I mean, we don't need to do that. So I think that it will be one of the greatest blessings that will, uh, will occur in the long term with that. So that's what I do in the, ensuring that leaders, not just leaders, every individual, look, a father is a leader, a mother is a leader of the house. Think about when you're fear-driven, when you step outside, you can die from a virus. And if the virus is not going to kill you, you've got no job because all the businesses have shut down. You're just sitting at home. And in our country, it's, the suicide is largely on the increase. And I see it day after day. And, and if you look at uh, antidepressant usage, it's gone up over 60% during, uh, from the time of lockdown. What is that telling you? Is that at the essence, people don't know what the hell's going on. So if there's one thing that I can do is just to teach you to make sense of it all. And the primary thing to make sense of is that you are not your thoughts. Because when a thought gets a hold of you and you become the thought, 
There's no hope because now you're like, well, my life is screwed because I don't have a job. But hold on a second. Are you, because we have these two terms, either you're employed or you're unemployed. And if you're not in one of those two cats, even the term self-employed still has employed in there. I mean, what's wrong with just being you outside of your identity? We've made our careers and our identity. You can relate to this because you've started your own thing. So I'm sure you've got a story to tell about this too, Roger. Yes. No, and I love this conversation because, um, you know, what I think about as, as you're talking, and, and thank you so much because you're going to help a lot of people today with with your conversation. But I just, you know, I, I think about people and that they, the odds are stacked so heavily against them from every standpoint, including, you know, if they if they listen to the news and the media. I mean, it's yeah. it's all fear-based. You know, there's a lot of fear. So people do have all this noise going on. We all do inside of our heads. And you talked about stillness and you talked about, you know, those those quiet moments where that's where we, we you know, that's that's where God, you know, lives uh, in, in that space. But it's hard to get there. And I know you're doing things to help people get there. But how do we overcome this as a world community where, you know, we could help people through all this noise. It just, to me, it's, and I don't want to be a pessimist, believe me, I want to spread optimism and, and I'm all about that. But when I think about the big picture and you start thinking about the globe and, and, you know, you talk about Mumbai, you talk about where you are, you know, I, I see everything here in the U S um, I've, I've been to, to Europe, you know, it's, it just seems so, overwhelming to be able to get to the average person to help them through so they can find stillness? That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a profound uh, um, question. And I think it starts off with perspective. First of all, I don't think we were doing so well before the virus. I don't think we were doing so well as a planet before the shit hits the fan. Because before this, we were not doing so well. I mean, if you think about it, our planet, the, 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 the oceans, the, the mess that we're in with, with everything that's going on, the amount of extinction, extinctions of species on a daily basis may be alarming, maybe not, but I'm not judging that because there's a universal plan. Maybe we're supposed to be getting extinct. And also, there's a cycle of change. So, so before we look at it, and, and I hear what you're saying, is that people are finding it very difficult. But with, if they take a, a, a bigger picture, then they will be able to get more perspective. Having said that, there is a plan in place, and it's, it's God, it's the universe, it's consciousness that's allowing this to happen. So um, I think if we, we can teach people using your particular channel, for instance, where you're um, having these podcasts and, and interviewing people, just promote the content out there, get people together, get people talking, get people hugging. If we don't have human interaction, we're done for. And so even though all these things are being allowed by the universe, if we can do something with absolute precision, when I talk about precision, it's that make sure that you're aligned with the universe, that when you go out there, do not attack people because that changes things. Like, you know what? They're all against us and we got to do this and we got to do that. You're not going to get anywhere. So it's about, so for me, it's amazing that you asked the question because when someone, a client calls me up and says, I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know, I don't know why I did that. You know, I, I, I messed up the interview and, you know, I lost, the, I lost the business deal. And I say, okay, first thing, breathe. 
So number one, your breath is the instrument of consciousness. When you connect to your breath, you connect to life. They say that Buddha reached, reached enlightenment between the in-breath and the out-breath because he breathed in and he went, if I don't breathe out, I'm dead. Right? Because that's effectively that he went, oh, okay. So now if you, if you bring awareness to the breath and then I say, most importantly, forgive yourself for what you did. That's the thing. So we look at everything that's happening. I forgive everyone that's doing whatever it is that they're doing that's done unconsciously, number one. Number two, I'm going to love them and share love from my heart. This sounds so strange because I'm a businessman. I, I didn't, you know, in my past life as a businessman, as a corporate career guy, what's this love bullshit? I mean, we've got to get out there. We've got things to sort out, you know, just close them down, shut them down, protest, da, da, da. And that, that, it didn't get anywhere. Look, look, look at the conflict we have right now. It's not really working. Love, forgive yourself, love yourself, and then find the stillness inside and don't try to solve the problem. That's the thing that everybody's trying to do. Let's solve the problem. But what you're not seeing is that it's not your problem, right? It's, it's, uh, there is a force, and this is the greatest freedom because everybody's trying to say, what do we do? There's a virus, we don't have a job. I'm saying that the, the, the Taoist philosophy and the Japanese philosophy, the Zen, the, the Buddhist, the, 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 the gurus in India, the, the Sufis, they, they're all telling you, be like water, flow, let go. So when you create resistance, you create tension within yourself. You can't change the universe. Let me give you an example that throughout history, the, the planet Earth has had an average 100 million people on the, on the Earth. In the last 200 years, that number shot up to 7 billion. Something's got to change. But here's the most extraordinary thing tying into your breath. How is it that there is enough oxygen all this time for 100 million people? How did the universe produce so much more? I'm not talking about double. Who's doing this? What's doing this? It's 7 billion people and each one of them goes, but who's doing that? I mean, if you can, if you can get that, then you get a little perspective because perspective says, okay, so, so we relinquish. And think about it. Resisting life is not going to stop life. Is it? You can't stop what is going on. And if you allow it, then you're surrendering. And if you look at the number one cause of heart disease, cancers, all of that's got to do with one thing. And I spoke to a doctor, a friend of mine who's a homeopath and a 20 years um, medical doctor. He says all of it can be attributed to one thing, inflammation. Hmm. So uh, after a meditation, I was talking to my wife and she says, you know, inflammation is resistance. I said, that's it. When you resist life, can you resist life? Oh my God, life. You can't, you can't stop life. So you resist life and you create, where's the tension? Inside. It's not, it's not, life's still going on as it always did, right? So you create resistance. And the more resistance, the more inflammation, the more narrowing of the arteries, the more the body can't heal, right? Now, those people that are going through this, you can't blame them. When you don't have a job, when you got a mortgage to pay, when you got, it looks like everything is collapsing on you, the first thing you have to do is forgive yourself for being overwhelmed. Because the, the, the ego is like a child. If you say to but look how stupid you are, instead of you, you, you're being still in your mind, you're being consumed by fear, that feeds the ego in it. And then the, the ego goes, it's like a child. It closes the door. It's like, well, if you're going to attack me, then you go deal with this shit yourself, right? 
And that's what I found because before it'd be like, okay, that's it. Monday morning meditation, uh, uh, veggie juices. We're going to, we're going to change our diets and you wake up Monday morning. Let's try next week. Cause I'm a bit busy this week. It doesn't help. So, so my, my, in my coaching, I tell people, forgive yourself and then work with your yourself. Because remember, we talk about, uh, I'm not myself. Well, who are we talking about? Who's talking? Who's I'm not myself? There's two people in there, right? Or, or that, you know, I, I can't stop thinking. Yeah. Well, who's the I? And so people say, oh, no, I can think all the time. I say, okay, two minutes. Clock starts now. Stop thinking. No, you can't do that. Or can you choose your thoughts for two minutes? I mean, we have between 70,000 and 80,000 thoughts a day. And, and neuroscience has been trying, they've mapped out the brain, the receptors, and that. One question for you, where do thoughts come from? Nobody knows right because it just comes right so Rumi says so beautifully he says why do you consume yourself with worry don't you know where thoughts come from and I meditated all the time I'm like no I don't because nobody does right so so either you can spend all the time thinking about where thoughts come from or you can get on with the fact that you are consciousness asking this question and once you do that that's in, in fact that's a stage of enlightenment is that I am not my thoughts, therefore, I can choose another outcome. And, 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 and I would love to bring this to the planet and say, guys, you are not your thoughts. Let's go back to sense. And you don't have to go into a monastery for years and you know, undertake tremendous teachings. It's a 10-minute process. You know? and, I'm, and, I'm, and I've done all these recordings. I'm going to be putting on the YouTube video. And, and I'm not the only one. I'm not selling anything, right? Because I, I, I'm not doing, I don't do coaching because I have bills to pay. I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I choose my clients. I choose when I work and I don't ever work. So Alan Watts says, says so beautifully is that when you get to a stage where you're doing what you love and you're getting paid for it, then you're an intelligent person because intelligent is that. So his theory was that the dolphins originated, there were mammals originated on land, right? And so the dolphins was, they had such an advanced consciousness and intellect they said, you know what? This being on the land thing is just exhausting. I've got to drag myself over here and drag. Let's go live in the ocean. So they evolved. They lived in the ocean. And they just go around. They said, look, we've got abundance of food. We can, we can just go around. And once they finish eating, they said, we can just play around. So they figured out how to align their bodies to, to an angle with their fin to the ship front of 26 degrees. And just sail with it the, and then float along with it, using it. So the rest of the time after they've got their food, they just go around playing in the water, like boom, up and down. And that's life. I mean, that's it, <laughs> which I thought is quite profound. So, and, and Roger, I know you don't ever work either. So, and I can tell you've been through a lot in your life to reach the stage of doing what you love and, and keeping it real. I mean, that's why it's called American real, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, and look, everything you just said, I, I, I purposely didn't want to interrupt at all because it was just, very profound. And these, these are the type of conversations that I love to share that are so important for others to hear because we are all going after the same thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I just really appreciate the fact that you helped make sense of some of that because it's not easy. You know, we are inundated with our own thoughts. Um, but I love the one phrase you use is be like water, just yeah. go with the flow. That that in itself, I think, is one piece of gold that is going to come out of this conversation. I know it helped me, and I know it'll mm -hmm. help 
a lot of others. So, yeah. So yeah, I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the issue about water is something that um, you know all my life I basically resisted life without knowing it because nobody purposefully wants to resist life and say you know I'm I'm doing this and that and it's not a conscious thing. But when you when you like you said when you became aware that water is this amazing substance and in fact if you look at it from a Chinese perspective or from a traditional perspective is that water is like the feminine energy and the masculine energy is like rock and water always overcomes rock eventually and it's the softness so if you read texts like the Wu Wei the Wu Wei and the and, and the text of Lao Tzu which is the, the Tao Te Ching or the Tao Te Ching which is this amazing text that's been 2,500 years ago that hasn't changed. They discovered 400 years ago a manuscript of the Tao Te Ching, and it was 98% correct from the original from the original document. So it is like a Bible, and I believe he was a prophet, the prophet of God, a prophet, a sage. And so, so he says that that resisting life is futile. And when you flow, and I'm doing a series on leadership using the principles of that, which is allowing everything to be because nature if you look around you without the uh, mind stream you find nature the sun rises precisely and sets precisely every single day look up at the planets look up at the rotation if you look up at the night sky and see how the planets have rotated throughout the year who's doing this are you doing anything so so the Wu way in essence is the art of not doing mm. now this is profound so you say, so you're saying I should just sit around and not do anything. And this is the bottom line. Not doing is not becoming the doer. So for instance, and this is the example to use, judo or any kind of conventional martial arts in the, from the East, you are there having trained for 20 years doing this kind of rituals, push-ups, sit-ups, movers, maneuvers. When the, when the opponent approaches, you don't do so he hits you move out of the way he puts his weight on you you swing his weight around this is not doing because you're not doing everything else he's doing but the moment you say oh he's coming towards me let me get out of the way because I, I did boxing for a while so i was there trying to hit this guy he's like hit me i'm like i'm trying but i can't hit him because i'm trying to hit him and so when you stop trying to hit it gets done so the art of wu wei or the art of not doing is the art of allowing everything to be done. And effective managers and leaders have very few have mastered this, is that if you can't trust the universe, how are you going to trust an employee? And if you can't trust the universe, how can you trust yourself? So part of my coaching is building up a relationship with yourself because you don't want to not trust yourself, but think about it. If I say, listen, Roger, could you jump into the ice cold uh, pool over there and spend 15 minutes, right? Of course, you'd say, oh, yeah, right, okay, but, but, but I know if I'm alone, right, and that's where the good feeling comes in, right, and if you know uh, uh, this wonderful, uh, the Iceman, uh, uh, Wim Hof, right, and, and uh, so Wim Hof, he encourages his people to come to a particular center, and they say, guys, we're going to try to jump into the ice. If you do it alone, you can't, because who, you, who, who are you, who's your opponent? It's you, right, so with the encouragement with someone, you can do it together and that's the group feeling and that's what i do with the coaching you say let me and that's why they do this fire walking the dropping back thing that they do is to build up a relationship with yourself because ultimately if you don't trust this and then you're putting to leadership positions and of course 
the majority of the politicians have gotten there from one one way or the other, and it hasn't been from an authentic point. So leadership, we have all this thing about emotional intelligence, and uh, you know it's wonderful to talk about executive coaching and emotional intelligence. But so I did a series of posts saying that leaders were always emotionally intelligent. Think about it. Would anybody follow you if you were like narcissistic? If you were not centered in your being, if you couldn't communicate effectively, no. So they always were. It's just that when we had the industrial revolution, and people became machines, and managers of machines and supervisors, we lost all of that. So so leadership was demolished because machines were doing all the work, and we're heading towards the AI revolution and and all the rest of it, uh, which which I call unconscious behavior. So the more unconscious we become, the next phase would, would be to turn us into machines. And we can, we can resist that and lose, or we can flow with that and allow this current pause that, is, that the entire planet, I say, I say God has put you all into a retreat. You know how when you go on a Zen retreat for seven days, you're going to do yoga and nothing else? God said, that's it. You've got no job. You've got nothing to do. I want you to sit in the house and now stay with your thoughts. And I can tell you what, if, if you sit and, and listen to your thoughts, one of these great uh, people said that all men's problems, man, man meaning male and female, stems from the fact that they can't sit alone in their own silence. If you sit alone and observe your thoughts, and there's a technique called Vipassana, which is a, a yoga technique, you book into this place, 10 days, they bring you the food. You don't go anywhere and you don't talk to anyone. They just drop the food and they leave for 10 days, morning, night. You wake up, you sit for 10 hours a day. A friend of mine who was, uh, uh, sorry, I'm just, uh, oh. <laughs> if you have a question. Great. So, 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 so the universe brought me this, this man from Switzerland um, who came to see me about business. And uh, we had this chat. We were going to a client and, 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 and I said, uh, so, so what do you do and stuff? And he says, well, I practice zen meditation and that's what sort of made my company uh, choose the company name because i'm not japanese and i don't really i don't really practice zen but it's the philosophy of zen that i love so this man his name is christian actually and, and i said to christian so so tell me what happened in your life and why are you doing this we were working with an ngo on funding and we went to see a client and uh, he said you know i was uh, at the top level executive management of all these groups of hotels all over the world getting paid a fortune one day I had a headache and I passed out and went to the doctor. The doctor said, you've got a, a tumor the size of a tennis ball in your head. So he was in a state of utter panic and shock and he had three months basically to live. So he was telling me the story and he was in the prime of his life. He was, uh, I think, mid thirties. Um, he went to see a friend of him said, come meet this guy. He's a Zen master. And this was somewhere in Europe. I think it was in Spain. He said, all right, I'll come along. He met with the Zen master and he said, tell the Zen master what your problem his friend said to him. And he said to the Zen master, well, I've got a tumor in my brain. I've got three months to live. And the Zen master said, you lucky bastard. <laughs> like, he said, he said, you lucky bastard. You're going to be dead in three months. We still got to put up with all this shit. What are you complaining about? <laughs> so so the, the Zen masters are just like, so he was very offended by this. You know, he went home and he was like, can't believe this guy. You know, it's outrageous. But that's, that's the beauty of the simplicity of the wisdom. He went back to the Zen master and told him, you know, like, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? And it's, it's a despicable answer. Um, 
So anyway, he, he went for the he went for the scan and, and the doc and he was lying there on the hospital bed and the doctor said, Listen, buddy, we're gonna operate on you on your brain now. We're gonna remove this tumor. You might you may lose your eyesight and you will lose most of your memory and you may not be able to walk. But if we don't do this, you've got three months and you don't really have any choice. So he was lying there about to go into the theater. He said, I got up. This is me hearing it firsthand as we're driving. I just wanted to pull on the side of the road. I got up and I started walking out in my gown. The doctor said, are you crazy? Where are you going? You're going to die. He said, I don't know, but I'm going. And the doctors were like, you know, didn't know what to do because they couldn't hold him back. He went back to the Zen master, said, Zen master, I'm in your hands. Because that's all the universe showed him at that point. He took, the Zen master said, I want you to go to, it was Japan. I want you to go meet this man here. He'll take care of you. He went over there, flew over there. The Zen master said, all right, so this is what I want you to do. There's a, there's a, a wooden house over there. I want you to go in the wooden house. We will bring you the food. You will spend 10 hours, no TV, no radio, no cell phone. 10 hours a day in stillness. He did that for three months. And he said to me, he almost killed himself in that silence. Came back to Switzerland, went for the scan. They don't know what tumor. He said, what tumor? You don't have a tumor. And to me, I have to take a deep breath because that has such an extraordinary influence of my life. It was like, what? Are we creating such anxiety in our minds? And so he decided to dedicate his life to, you know, to servicing the poor, effective leadership and, you know, setting up all these things and, you know, changed his diet. And I mean, the, so the man has kept the practice of Zazen, which is sitting in the state of stillness for two or three hours a day. And the man is young, he's in his 50s now, vibrant, full of zest, full of life. And, and I, I can tell you what, Roger, in my life, when I sat still and allowed the thoughts to settle, that is my antidepressant. That is my pill. That is my reset in life. So, you know, it was a powerful story. And thank you for allowing me to share that as well. Such a powerful story, Rashad. Um, I, you know, I've been practicing myself for the last five to seven years, uh, stillness. And, you know, I don't talk about it much, but, you know, bef before I go to bed and when I wake up in the morning, I spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes Wow. And I have found that to be the best medicine of my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, and as part of that is a, a gratitude practice, which is something I wanted to ask you about as well. And, um, you know, we're probably going to have to do another one of these interviews because we just don't have enough time uh, today to, to get it all out there. But how much does gratitude play into stillness you talked about it a little bit earlier um, mm. but can you go into it a little bit deeper because it's something i know i get a lot of uh, response back from our audience when we, when we do have guests on that talk about gratitude and i'd really love to hear your perspective on it at, at a deep level you know that's a brilliant question and uh, i love your questions which means that you're gonna you have you have an amazing show because it's not this light light level stuff so in essence, the deeper you go, the more simpler it becomes. So we're not talking about deep as in, you know, let's get into quantum physics and we can do that because that's my a field of my expertise. But you get to the end in, I mean, the entire theory of quantum physics is the, the ultimate epiphany of quantum, quantum physics is that we have no idea. So that is it. They get to the point and they thought, 
oh, according to Newton, this, and they do this, and they're like, oh. And so, so I always laugh, and I say, the ultimate stage of quantum physics is not knowing, and that is the ultimate stage of when they talk about nirvana, or they talk about uh, fana, all these terms in different languages, you get to the stage when someone says to you, so what's the essence of life? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> that's it. So, so that's so, great. So it's, it's great to hear that that's okay, because that's, no one knows, right? No the one. ultimate knowing, because everything that you know came from the brain, and everything that's around in the universe is away from the brain, because the only way you perceive reality is through, and that's a good indicator of where we'll go next. The brain, if you observe the pattern, 70% of what the brain thinks about is the same patterns. And, and, and this has been studied by neuroscience. And 70% of those thoughts are negatively biased. So this inbuilt machine, which is wonderful. You see, if we approach that, because if I had to approach this with blame and go, what the hell, who would create such a system that makes us miserable all the time? That doesn't work. It's the same as blaming someone with the virus. The essence of it is that this machine, this brain, this entire organism has kept us on this planet for 4 billion years, plus or minus a few billion years. I don't know how they came up with it exactly, but a long time, right? So it's doing something right. If it, and this is how I approach it, if it says to you, listen, Rashad, you can sit at home, have a, have a soda, put some YouTube on, listen to Roger Brooks, American Real, you got nothing to worry about. There's no, nothing to bother you. Now, would humanity progress? Would we be having this conversation? Would we be improving our health? Would we be looking better? No. So this wonderful instrument saying, listen, there's a spot in your face. You've got to clear it up. You're not as fit. Your blood pressure needs to be lowered. You're not making enough money. You haven't invented anything. We haven't solved global poverty. And that machine is wonderful because it keeps you going. But at what cost? So, so when you say, okay, I can see this brilliant invention that, that, that is this organism that's kept life in, 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 in play, we can, we can do something about it, right? So, so this particular uh, organism, we can use it to our advantage. You spoke about gratitude. Gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership, right? So that's, that's from Joe Dispenza, who says it's so beautiful, that when you are in a state of gratitude, you can receive, right? And Rumi says that gratitude is the ultimate stage of all emotions. So, so, so it is at the top of all emotions. Now, gratitude is totally misconstrued because all we do all day, thank you for your time, thank you for the groceries, thank you for giving me a shopping bag, we've abused the term thank you. Thank you and gratitude is not something that you pay homage to. You know what? I should be a good Christian, a good Muslim, a good Hindu and say, thank you, God. That doesn't do anything for you because God, the universe, consciousness, doesn't need your gratitude. What kind of God would say, oh, oh, thank God, you know, you made me feel so good because you said thank you to me. It doesn't work like that. The reason why you give gratitude, because gratitude creates a frequency inside of you, which is measurable using uh, various tools today. When you feel grateful for life, you emit a frequency that's higher. But that doesn't come for thanking someone in that particular level. Here's the thing. If you say, I'm so grateful for my life, right? Or one thing that we all do is like, at least I'm not as poor as that guy. At least I have legs as that doesn't now. That sounds great because you're like, oh. How lucky. But what you're not seeing there, first of all, there's guilt attached to that, right? 
because you're saying I should be feeling grateful. What's what a despicable man I am, right? Or woman I am. That doesn't help. Number one. The second thing is what you're saying is that God wasn't so nice to that guy. He was nicer to me. Therefore, but then then you're thinking, surely the question is going to come up is that hold on a second. I mean, what about him, right? But that's the thing. We have a limited perception. In fact, to answer that question, that that the universe has a plan for each and every one of us, and you may see see that person in great hardship sitting there all the time, you know, that could be his greatest growth. For example, the story of the man in the wheelchair and you say to him, and there's a story and the man went up to the man in the wheelchair and said, oh, you know, it must be terrible being in the wheelchair. And the man said, are you crazy? This is the greatest sense of my freedom. The man was, what do you mean? He said, if it wasn't for this wheelchair, I'd still be stuck in bed and I won't be able to move. When I'm in this wheelchair, I can get around. And you're like, what? And that's a profound understanding and we don't know that. So, Gratitude comes out of stillness. So you said it, Roger. How is gratitude related to stillness? When you're still and you're tuned in to everything else that's out there, including the fact that you're breathing and this fact that the air has been circulating around for 100 million people and now is sustaining 7 billion people, and that everything is happening in this form and that you are life itself. You know. So Alan Watts says so beautifully, he says, when you get this, everything changes. And what is that? You are it. Yes. You are it. And when you are it, you're part of this huge thing that is it. And you're just like, oh my God. Right? And then automatically God comes up. But it wasn't like, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. It's that I am it. So, you know. It is a state of being, correct? It is always it is you don't have to get into it it is every right. point right and so gratitude comes without so so for me when i teach prayer and i teach manifestation of manifesting the life that you want i said god doesn't need words and the universe doesn't need words it's the feeling so if you want to feel grateful you don't sit there going oh and, and it's good to write it down there's no harm in it but you know i'm grateful for my arms for my leg for my lips for my tongue and that's all good but it's that feeling within you and just like that bliss that comes from work. In fact, you just said it right. It's perception. It's the work of knowing what you are and the fact that your thoughts are not you and that you are much greater than, than the thought that you're having. And so the gratitude is a feeling. And I always talk about energy centers in the body. You have the lower energy centers, which is your grounding. So if you look at the, the lowest energy center, it's the base of your spine. And in fact, it's the first part of the, the development life cycle of the, of the baby as it develops in the womb. And then it raises up. So when your emotions are down there, they're about survival. They're like, you know, the threat, the, the, the saber-toothed tiger, the attack on me, which is where we're living right now. The planet is in survival. The planet is like, I'm, I, I don't want to die from the virus. I don't want to die from the tax man, from Facebook, uh, you know, doing this and that. We live there. And as you do your work with the chakras and the energy centers that science can't directly prove, but yet, you know, science can prove it, which is one of those sort of dichotomies in life, is that when you move the energy up and you, and you, and you take the energy from the lower levels, and they've measured this, they measured an emotion such as guilt, shame, self-pity, doubt, it has a frequency on a scale and the frequency is very low down. And as your, your emotions rise, then so does the frequency. So it gets quicker. If you measure it on a scale, it's getting more faster. 
And so then you have gratitude, then you have bliss, then you have ecstasy. And when you're right up here, you're in this thing. And I, the first time I heard this word, I was like, that's it. It's called rapture. Rapture is like, oh, just, you know, and they show this on the Kundalini, uh, which is this yoga breathing, is that the energies move up the spine like a snake all the way through up and you're just connected to the cosmos, right? And to me, with all the blabber in the world, all the chatter, I said, and I was talking to this team at the very big bank, and I said, look, in essence, let me tell you what people want. People want to answer this question. Do you know what the question is? Surely there's more to life than this. Hmm. That's, that's it. Surely this can't be it. My job, my family, there's got to be something more. So what do we do? We go on a holiday, get drunk, uh, go, to the, go to Hawaii, and all the time. The essence of who you are. So, so my client said to me, oh, I, I need a change of scenery. I said, no, you need a new pair of eyes because you're looking at things the wrong way. Right, Roger? Man, <laughs> so profound, uh, Rashad. And as Alan Watts also says, we are living in the beatific vision right now. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. We have it right here. Yeah. Why, why look further? It is, right. it is here. It is now. It is in this moment. So again, in the moment, in the moment, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so I did a video and I said, after four decades of, of pursuing, I shouldn't say four decades because it's been, you know, a little less than that. I've been pursuing the art of happiness, the science of happiness, the seven key steps, the secret to happiness. And all of it comes down to what you just said so beautifully, Roger. The only place to find happiness is right here, right now. And that sounds like a wonderful thing to say, and we know it, but why can't we find it? It's because we're not here. Now, if I had to approach you with love and compassion, I would say to you, there's no blame on you. Nobody teaches you this. We don't teach you in school. What we teach you in school is achieve this degree, this qualification, and then you'll get the job. And then finally, no, no, not finally, almost finally, you can celebrate. No, no, when you get this title and then you'll be the CEO, then you can celebrate. No, when you get the title and the CEO, then you get the house. Then you can, then you are it. And then you're 65 and you're like, what the hell did I waste 45 years of my life for? So I've decided to approach my children very differently and saying, guys, if you don't finish school, I don't give a crap. Right? I want you to love this moment now. Okay? And I'm going to teach you how to do that. Not by telling you, by showing you by being there for you. And I never was because I was chasing after money all the time, chasing after what I wasn't wrong because that's what I was brought up to do. And my parents weren't wrong because that's what they were taught to do, right? So I want to be like the dolphin. I want to find the quickest way to get to the food, fill my belly and have fun, right? And so where is fun? It's right here, right now. It's not at the end of this goal in this mansion with the dancing girls and, you know, Alan Watts says it so beautifully. And then, and then it, it and that dries up the, the essence of that dries up and you you know so i can tell roger that you're a sole purposed uh, individual listen to alan watts because i love him he's my hero him Eckhart Tolle, uh you know all these guys and of course from the east the japanese masters you know some amazing zen wisdom uh in that so you know I, i'll share one story of the the zen master so a man went to the zen master and said Oh, master, could you show me how to get to enlightenment? And the Zen master said, I don't know. 
and they, they love this given this kind of answers. And so the man said to him, but so, 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 so tell me, what do you do? He says, well, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm tired, I sleep. And the man said, uh, but uh, oh master, doesn't everyone do that? He says, no. Everyone, before they eat, they're thinking about what they're going to eat. They're thinking about while they're eating. They think about after eat, and it's thoughts, thoughts, and thoughts. When they go to bed at night, they, they can't they fall asleep because their mind is running away. And then they're dreaming all these horrible dreams because in the day, they didn't allow their mind to settle. So that's what you need to do. So, so the, another beautiful then saying is that uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, fetch water. After enlightenment, chop wood, fetch water. <laughs> so, so, so this is it. This is it. It's here. It's now. It's, it's all there is, you know. And 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 it's your perceptions of reality. If you change your eyes and look at it differently, Wayne Dyer said said it so beautifully. He said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Profound. <laughs> wow, Rashad, uh, you you touched on leadership earlier. And I believe you're talking about, you know, as, as, the, as we went through the Industrial Revolution and, you know, things started changing as, in society, leadership took on a whole new meaning and role, which changed people. But you talk about something called heart-based leadership. Can you give us a little bit of uh, idea what that actually means and how we could help some people today that are leaders in companies? And they may just, you know, not have uh, 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 the, the whole perspective on what something like heart-based leadership can bring to them, their team, and their organization. Thank you, Roger. That's a very good question. And yes, I was in a leadership role, and I have several companies, and I lead people. So I've approached this in, a, in, in this particular way, and the results have been astounding. And I wouldn't say the results have been that I've made more money because that wasn't the reason why I exist right now. And I think a lot of companies are profit driven, which is perfectly fine. But ultimately, it's people that make profits. It's not companies that make profits. So if we don't invest the time into the people and the people are lost right now, people are, are, are being at home, they're virtual. People have become virtual. People have become AI. And so right now, more than ever, leaders need to embrace the new normal and the new normal is one where we need to overcome the hurdles that we're facing where life was not making sense before the virus hit that hit us is to make sense of the world now which means now more than ever we have to connect to hearts because people are moved by feelings and this famous saying that people will forget what you did but it's about how you make them feel it's an overused cliche but that's it so if we want to remember how they they need to feel in fact, here's a revolutionary statement. They need to become more women-like. Hmm. Now, women, the, the divine feminine, if you want to call it that, is the essence of life. And the divine feminine is the essence of Wu Wei, which is the flow, the non-doing. And the woman, as, as biology, is a receptor. It's a receiver. In fact, if you look at it, in essence, it's, it's, it's creating a space. And for me, my coaching, in my family, in people around me, if someone is having issues, I say, give them space. Open up a space around you for them to be. And, and that ultimately is what a woman is in essence. So I say, women, 
please don't come into this male industry trying to be men because you already have the gift. And what we need to do is to tune in to the voice of the feminine, the voice of allowing, the voice of letting things be, the not doing, not the conflict uh, creator, not the let's go out with our 10-step plan. Let's chuck the plan away for now. Let's allow ourselves to be. Most importantly is to teach leaders, leaders to align from their heart and their brain so that when they're talking, what comes out is in alignment. In fact, over 90% of all communication is non-verbal, which means that people are not listening to the words that are coming out. It's your facial expression. You know that, right? It's what's being transmitted. It's your body language. It's like, you know, people can tell. If you, if you yawn, someone yawns. If your legs are crossed, they're going to cross their legs. If, if you mimic my breathing pattern, if you like someone, you do that, right? And that's what happens. So we know this happens, but if we're not in alignment, and I find this, and, and a lot of um, leaders call me in for meetings, and they say, and, and what they do is they call me the fly on the wall. So I come in and I just observe, and then after that, I tell them. And I said, you were trying to, you were trying to tell them the new company policy, but you were talking from here. And I can see from the room with all the questioning, they didn't get it. So if we're not talking from an authentic place within us, and we we're trying to uh, trying to, to 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 transmit senior management's uh, orders upon us. So guys, we want to reduce staff count by ten percent. So you walk into the meeting, guys. You know, due to the economic recession, we've had to make a critical decision and um, ask x amount of people. And you use all the correct terminology and you know make sure that you haven't hurt anyone's feelings and you know lawyers and being that doesn't work. You know. Ultimately, you've got to trust in the universe. You've got to trust in yourself and say, I'm going to do the, not the right thing. Because the right thing is very subjective. Is it because the, is the right thing what the company wants? Is the right thing what the lawyers want? Is the right, right thing what the profit margin is? No, it's the right thing to my essence. And if we can teach leaders and have uh, senior management to have such faith that if they inculcate these values, they're going to create a new brand of people. And that's why Japanese, there's a beautiful article, why Japanese companies have weathered the storm of Corona better than anyone else. It's because they embody the principles of allowing life to be. So get to the meeting and say, I, if this was me, I would feel just the same. I don't know how to tell you this. Now, that's, that's the way. Or you could come across and the people are reading mixed signals. You're like, and then people have become analytical. And you know what? They're going to go to the lawyers. They're going to be like, this guy bullshitted me. He didn't tell me. And I could see he was just passing down senior management crap. So I'm saying, let's be authentic, but you can be smart about it. You don't have to go, you know, these guys are trying to screw us over and, and they are again. It's the blame game, right? So we'll say, look, this thing has happened, right? I've been ordered to do this after senior management with all compassion have come up with a plan. They don't know what to do next. So I've got the unfortunate job to do this. And so, so to teach leaders, look, communication is it, Roger. And you know, if you can't communicate, and what's the number one skill in communication? And I'll tell you what it is. Effective. <laughs> Effective communication. It's listening. Yes. So talking is the second part. So we listen, we feel. And so what I teach leaders is to listen through their bodies, not through their ears. So if you, and, and you as an interviewer, me as a coach, I sit for four to five hours a day and I'm sitting there 
and I make sure that I'm not thinking. If I come here telling you, oh yeah, well, you know, it seems like you've got a similar uh, problem pattern to the other person, there's your solution. And that doesn't work. For me as a coach, I sit here, I feel your words. And what I teach the class, what I teach leaders is that to listen to the sound before the words. So there's a space that my words come out of. Can you hear that? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. So you're now reversed. So now you're listening to the silence. And when you listen to the silence and you're feeling my words, I teach you to, instead of having full field vision, which is looking at you, I have peripheral vision. So I'm looking at you, but I'm looking at everywhere else. And you try this. When you get into peripheral vision, your subconscious mind kicks in now because now you're in absorption mode. So if you want to study a, a text in a long technical paper, you get into peripheral vision, put the audio on, and you're getting everything because you're bypass. The moment you go, what is he saying about point number five? You miss the whole thing. So it's these techniques on how to be effective listener. The second part is how to communicate your message effectively enough. And I mean, the results are proven over and over again. And I am one that is against the conventional uh, leadership training, the executive coaching training. And I don't get some of the gigs with the corporate gigs. So a company said to me, Rashad and, and one of my one of the leaders had to go against the, um, the, the, the package deal. I didn't tick all the boxes. I didn't have this qualification, this degree. Think about it. Is there a degree on how to coach about life, Roger? I mean, how absurd, right? But, but anyway, so there are organizations that say, okay, well, you've ticked these boxes. You can now coach people in life. Even if you're 21, you just graduated. If you've done this course, then you know what? Roger, all these problems, you can fix it all because you've got, you've got the qualifications. So for me, so, so this guy finished the course with me and he said, listen, Rashad, my company has got senior management. I want you to coach senior management. I said, sure. How many people you got? He said, 15,000. <laughs> well, I can't do that. Right, so, so, so here's the problem. How do I do that? I need to set up a standard and a certification. And I'm saying, I will not do that. I'm not gonna mass produce. So I've launched the coaching program and I've got coaches coming through. But if they can't do what I'm doing, and ultimately I'm in the transformation business. I'm not in the coaching business. So if you walk away being more centered and you have the tools within you, then I can, you know, there's a saying that says that when the, when the, when the student is ready, the master appears. And when the student is ready, the master disappears. <laughs> so I'm not trying to keep you on to retainer for the rest of my life to keep on telling you why you need three years of therapy. And they give you the tools, and get the hell out of here, and move on to the next guy, right? Or the next woman out there. So, so I'm saying that listen to the feminineness within you. And the women have to listen to their intuition. And the intuition has to be, has to be tuned, right? Tuned towards not survival, tuned towards inspiration, because, you know, you say, I have a bad feeling, but where is your intuition tuned? Is it to survival and pain avoidance, which is what women and, and, and the, the human species for avoid pain. But if you're not in, in alignment with yourself, then all you're doing is having bad feelings. And you're not really using that innate intuition. Throughout history, if a leader didn't consult with the women in his life, he knew he was going to screw up. Because, you know, did you listen to your wife? What did she say? You know, and we stopped listening to them, right? So <laughs> listen to them. <laughs> Amazing. Sean, thank you so much. This has been uh, one of our most profound uh, episodes. 
in three years. And um, wow, I, I, I just loved taking all of this in today because I learned a lot from you today. I know our listeners are going to learn a lot. I just have a couple of quick more questions, uh, a couple of questions for you before I let you go. Uh, the first one is, and this comes from you, so I, I, I want to just turn the roll around a little bit. How do we squeeze more joy out of life? How do we do that? Um, yeah, I think I think in principle I'll review that. But the joy out of life is lived in the present moment, um, and and a lot of people are trying to find joy in their work, in their in their lives, in in elsewhere, and and joy is felt in the present moment. But it's become a cliche to say that the present moment. And I believe that joy, like happiness, like gratitude, is a feeling that's transmitted. It's not something that is learned through a textbook. So, so you have these books that say the seven stages of gratitude. And, you know, this is how you do gratitude. Joy, this is what you do with gratitude. But it's the same way as learning to play the piano. You don't read the book and go, okay, it's the left key here, right key here, and all the rest of it. You go to someone that plays the piano. So where do you find joy? And where can you get that transmitted to you? Any ideas? Go to people that are joyful and happy. Right. And the people that ultimately are joyful that I've known in my life are children. Yes. So yeah. you go with the children, you run around with them, you laugh with them, and you do what they do. What do they eat all day? They look for opportunities to buy more sweets. Okay. They look for opportunities. My daughter says to me, tickle me, tickle me, tickle me. I'm like, what, what are you, what's wrong with you? Don't you have a job? Don't you have something to do? Tickle me, tickle me, tickle me. That's the thing. And you're like, oh, okay. That's the point of life is to feel. So, so this great guru, uh, Sadhguru from, uh, from, from India who's a superstar. He says, here's the proof if your life is being lived in a correct way. Here's the measuring tool. Are you feeling more joy than yesterday? If the answer is no, go back to the drawing board. Right? So the whole point of the essence of life is how much joy do you feel? And if you want to know where you find that, look in the child's eye. And if you want to learn how to do that, do what they do. And if you want, and if, if you, and, and why I have a job is that you've created so many, so, so Rumi says so beautifully, your job is not to find love. Your job is to find all the barriers that you've created in your mind for love to not find you. So then, then you can come to me and I'm going to tell you why all this crap that you bought into about what joy is and what love is and what happiness is. You know, the word love, the word joy and the word God, some of the most abused terms in society today, you know, oh God, this and love this. And it's not that. So to find joy is to find the present moment, but also to find out all the reasons that you've created and do what you just suggested. And what you do is to sit alone in your thoughts and any moment you can sit alone in your thoughts and allow them to be and there's a process which we can talk about in the next thing because if you sit there trying to find calm within the thoughts you're going to get lost because the brain wants to keep your attention it's telling you you got no time for this now we got work to do you got this to do you got that to do and if you don't know the operating system and you're trying to sit there trying to figure out what's going on you're going to fail. So there's a technique which is simple, uh, which Rumi says as well, is that every treat every thought as a welcome guest. Good and bad, let them come. And when their time is up, let them go. And that's the secret to meditation. 
So you, you allow the thought. So I use this example of, of a vessel opening up, like a ping pong ball dropping in, boing, jumping up. So here's the thought. I got to go. We got work to do. Okay, off you go. Oh, you have a nice hairstyle. Okay, great. Now you go. Yeah. And so now we're not participating. And if you do this long enough, a gap opens up one thought to the other. And you're like, oh, I had that thought as a space. And life is in that space. If you can open up that space and widen it, that's when presence, reality, the universe, your itness, your isness, uh, all transforms because it's between the gaps, it's between the breath, is like what Buddha said. It's between the inhale and the exhale. It's between one thought and the other. If you can widen that gap, you're widening life. And that's where can, joy can enter now. There's no gap for joy to enter. Joy is like well, between that thought and that thought, it doesn't have a gap. So find the gap, find the gap. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. And thank you for that visual for us to be able to comprehend that, understand how to do it ourselves. Rashad, one last question before I let you go. And I ask every guest this at the end. And that is, at the end of the day, you still have a lot of work to do. What kind of mark do you want to leave on this earth? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, <laughs> you know, the thing that I want to do most is to disappear into the mountains and not be seen um, by anyone. That's, on the one hand, is what I want to do. But I'd like to teach people to want that in life. Um, and so my legacy, if you could say that, would be while I'm here, knowing how insignificant yet how significant I am, is actually in the opposite, is that you're nothing so that you don't have any expectations and that you're everything so that you can build up whatever gratitude you want. And it's in between the two opposites that I find it. I would like to transmit the peace and the tranquility and the stillness and the clarity that I've never had in all my life that I've gotten now. So when I knew I was it, Roger, as, as, as Alan Watts says, I said, man, I've got to bring this to the world. And that's what I want to do. So I'm writing and, 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 and I know you've written before and you're a master at it. So I'm going to pick your brain on that, but I've got my notes. I need to get it out there. I want to bring this and I've got the tools and I want people to realize how easy it is. And I'll leave with one thing that, that, that uh, well, when, when, you're, when you're ready is that uh, Rumi was asked, he said, oh, great Rumi, how did you make such complex matters so simple? And he laughed and he said, how can you make something so simple, so complex? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> Rashad Ahmed, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real family. You provided so much value and joy to all of us on this side. So thank you so much for coming on. Roger, you brought this out in me. And to me, that was one of the best interviews that I've done. So thank you for being such a vessel. And you are the embodiment of what I'm talking about. So please give people more of what, what you have. And thank you for making the show available. I'm excited to work with you in the future as well. It's my pleasure. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and
courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you 